Did you know that the world record for the most consecutive days in space is 437 days? It is held by Valery Polyakov, who lived on the Mir space station for 437 days. It's possible it's because he couldn't find his keys, but he never admitted that. <laughs> now, what would it take to return from space after 14 months living outside of the realm of the Earth? What issues would you need to address? Well, first of all, he needed to address the issue of, issue of atrophy. Because by living in a weightless state, which might sound attractive uh, on Earth, uh, all your muscles get really weak. And uh, you can do the exercises and the training that astronauts get trained to do. But still, you've got to get used to gravity and how things function on Earth. Likewise, issues of isolation. He lived in a pod with just a few other astronauts for those 14 months. And so his uh, concept of society, of social interaction, was uh, highly limited. Even in 1995, when this record was set, he had to have all communication with people outside his pod through a screen. From the first Sunday that we had to cancel services in March of 2020, until a few weeks ago when we were able to begin some measure of restoration of services. Those who are vaccinated don't have to wear masks and we can actually sing out loud legally. I think some other people were singing out loud since last year. But uh, uh, the amount of time between those two Sundays was 434 days. We have suffered from both atrophy and isolation. Some of the effects of that are very obvious and some less so, a little more subtle. We might not be fully aware of the effects of that isolation and atrophy. So this morning, I would like us to remember who God designed us to be as a people, who God created us to be as a church. We're going to read about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And to many of you, that will be a familiar passage. You will assent and agree that you believe that this is the teaching of Scripture, that we are the body of Christ. But I'm afraid that many of us, perhaps unintentionally, no longer believe that. It's not a question of understanding this morning. It's a question of actual belief deeper inside as we think about what we believe about how God created us. I believe as we study this passage, God will continue his process of reconnecting us as a body. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. 
If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And of those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving, her greater honor to, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word, your word, which teaches and instruct us, instructs us. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would make this word come alive in all of us, that you might continue your process of reconnecting and restoring the full expression of the body of Christ here at Second Presbyterian Church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the opening two or three verses, Paul teaches us very clearly that God has uniquely designed the church to be a beautiful union of many varied members in one body. The general principle he gives us in the first three verses, there are many different kinds of members with different functions, different gifts, but there's one body, and this is all God's design and his intention. By way of background, if you've studied 1 Corinthians, you'll know that that church had quite a few issues, Kind of towards the top of the list was the issues of divisions. Uh, these were interreligious divisions. Some said, I follow Paul, I follow Apostle, I follow Jesus. And there were divisions within the church. There were also issues of which spiritual gifts were more important and needed to be focused on and given attention to. There was, the church was suffering from division and stratification. Immediately prior to our passage... Paul said, he taught that the Spirit gives different gifts to different members of the body. And he listed a number of gifts. And then we read our text. Our text likens those different gifts to different parts of the human body. And so then Paul introduces this illustration, which was common in the ancient world as it is today. We are part of the body. And in Paul's context, the body of Christ. We are all joined to one head, that is Jesus. Now in Western countries, we have an individualistic tendency. If you think of the spectrum of societies that are some that operate on the more individualistic side and some that operate on the more collective side, the group thinking, the group process. Well, most Western countries end up being over here, individualistically. So when we hear that, what we tend to hear is that when I reconnected to God through the work of Christ, right? When I believed in God through Christ, that he died for my sins, that he restored my relationship with God, that I'm now saved and joined to God, we think of it individually. I am connected to Christ. Now, this is all true. It's fully true. But when we get connected to Christ, we also get connected to one another. We become part of the body of Christ where we're interconnected, Connected to Christ and 
integrally connected to one another. So baptism into Christ, the saving work of the Holy Spirit, joins us to the entire body of Christ. In other words, we are not the jellyfish of Christ. You see, I'm afraid that's the way we perceive it. There's this head, and then there's a zillion little tentacles connecting one little individual to the body of Christ, where we all function, but having no relation one to another. There is no jellyfish of Christ. We are a body with many diverse, different, varied members who function together according to our gifting, according to our abilities, our life circumstances, in a coordinated and cooperative manner. Paul wants to make this very clear, that we are all baptized into one body. So he gives two pairs of contrasting, uh, contrasting uh, classes or groups, Jews or Greeks. I won't get into university fans here. Jews or Greeks, uh, first it can be an ethnically different group, right? Uh, Jews came from Palestine, uh, were Semitic people, and the Greeks, basically everybody else in the Roman Empire in the Jewish way of thinking, that's everybody else, right? The Jews and the Greeks were different ethnically. But it was also a religious distinction. Jews were monotheists. They believed in the book, in the Bible, in our Bible. So they had correct teaching about the one true God. Greeks were polytheists with a great variety of religious views and some practices we would find highly problematic. Paul says Jews and Greeks were baptized into one body. Just think about that for a minute. People from different religions. I mean, it might be more fair to say religious backgrounds. But people from different religious backgrounds became one body connected to each other as they were connected to Christ. And then he goes on to bring another contract, contrast. Slaves or free. Slaves, this obviously reflects economic differences, economic stratifications. stratifications. So slaves would be the poorest and the free would have many privileges and much access and much ability to function in society as they wished. Also a social stratification, who's higher on the ladder and who's the bottom of the ladder. Jews and Greeks, slave and free, were combined into one body. As a side note, let me ask the question about the slaves and the free. What do you think is the probability that the slaves and the free voted for the same political party? I know slaves didn't vote in the ancient world. It's a metaphor. They were at opposite ends of the spectrum. In our experience of isolation, we've also experienced a significant increase in rhetoric and polarization of opposing political positions. The same has occurred as we address social issues, issues of justice in our community. The same has occurred as we even think about the different ways to address the issue of the pandemic. There is nothing new of having people in the same church, in the same city, in the same states, or the same country have significantly different views about issues of weight and importance. 
My mother grew up in a house where her mother and father were strongly connected to two different political parties. They were married their entire life. I mean, to each other. They stayed married. The legend goes that my grandfather would say to my grandmother, you know, we're just going to cancel each other out. Let's not go and vote. And my grandmother would say, you don't have to vote, but I'm going to vote because she knew he would sneak out and try to vote to cancel out her vote, right? <laughs> they figured out in a democratic society how to live together with differing views on politics that lasted their whole life. During our isolation, we've seen an increase in our in the divisive issues of our country, of a divisive spirit that tends to vilify, demonize, and cancel the other side. Paul, in his day, intentionally chose those opposites, the religious opposites, the cultural opposites, the economic opposites, the racial and ethnic opposites, to demonstrate that when we are made spiritually alive, it is done by the work of one spirit. That spiritual rebirth, which he here calls baptism, makes us members together of one body. Brothers and sisters, we are the body of Christ. That illustration was common in the ancient world as it is today. Our schools, our city, our sports teams, our hobbies, our clothing lines, all kinds of people make use of this this unity of a big group to create identity and belonging. And because we are Memphis, right? Memphis proud. There were all these things that give us uh, community and unity around some common cause or a common clothing line. That's fine. That's perfectly appropriate. And it works on the horizontal plane. But we're the body of Christ. And in that the metaphor begins to blur, gets a little fuzzy. Because it's not entirely a metaphor, is it? We are spiritually, and to some degree, literally, the actual body of Christ on this earth, a manifestation of who Jesus is until he returns. That's a different kind of body. So the real question for us is, do we believe this? I know you know it. Do we believe that we're all connected to each other as a body? You see, there's not two tracks. The I become a Christian and then I become joined to the body of Christ as if they're two parallel ideas. It's all one act. We're connected to each other. There are no jellyfish. Now we could talk about the relationship of different churches within the family of God to one another. I'm going to focus on the local church because that's the expression Paul is talking about in his letter to a particular church. When he talks about the gifts, they manifest themselves in a body that we call the church. If we were to put together all the true churches into the living body of Christ, I might use the metaphor of the living stones that Peter uses in 1 Peter. But today we're talking about one particular expression that we call the family at Second Presbyterian Church. So if we really believe this, not just assented to it, but it, uh, if we really believed it, how would it affect our lives? Well, let me jump over to a little cell biology. How close 
does a cell in the human body have to be to the next cell to function in a healthy manner? Okay? If a cell in the human body is not, connect, is not immediately in contact with the next cell, and it's not just the next cell, it's like the 47 cells all around it, right? If it's not in immediate, proximate, microscopic contact, it will not survive. It cannot function, it cannot thrive, it cannot live. If you think about how the human body works, there's a bloodstream and it passes nutrients and antibodies to the cells of the body and the different tissues, the different organs. But the blood vessels don't go to every single cell. They pass the oxygen and they pass the antibodies through the surrounding cells so it spreads out to the whole tissue. That's the way it works. The healing, the energy, the nutrients go from cell to cell until everybody gets what they need. Likewise, when there's waste products or when there's poison, things that damage and hurt the cells, they don't just catapult them out of the body. They've got to go back through all the other cells to the bloodstream to go to the organs that are filters or to eventually be expelled from the body. The cells have to be in proximate contact with each other constantly all the time to function in a healthy manner. Now, I know that Paul was not explicitly referencing cell biology, but I think the parallel holds. That's because that's exactly what Paul is going to describe in the bulk of our passage, the next verses we'll look at. So pause for a moment and ask God if you believe this, if you believe that you're supposed to be in such close, proximate contact, I'm not talking about pandemic issues, and that you're so mutually involved with each other's lives that you're passing nutrients and healing balm to the people around you, and that the things that you're sharing, the difficulties, the sin that we're confessing to each other is in that kind of close, proximate contact. Or if somehow we've reverted to being jellyfish. Because that's what Paul gets into in the next, in the bulk of our passage. He, Paul teaches in the next verses that every part of the body makes a unique contribution and is vitally important for the body to function. You see, God designed the body to function using every single part of the body. Now, if you've ever had a small part of your body fail, you know exactly what the issues are. You have many muscles in your leg, but if there's a tear or an injury in one of the smaller muscles in your hamstring, it will make you unable to walk at all, much less run at any significant speed. You have a small intestine. I know you're grateful that I pointed that out. It's long and disgusting. If like an inch and a half is pinched so that nothing can pass through, it's not only on the top 10 list of excruciatingly painful conditions that a human can experience, but if it's completely pinched, it's lethal. It causes gangrene. You can die from that. One inch of a very long Small intestine. Every part of the body, small or large, seen or unseen, needs to work properly, is vital for the functioning of the body. 
And without them, we cannot be about our mission. Paul describes two issues that the church in Corinth was dealing. And he kind of compares, again, some contrasts. On the one hand, there were some people that perceived they were less important and perhaps superfluous. You see, they, they're thinking about like this. Other people, they have the important gifts. They have the important roles and the important functions. They're clearly gifted. They're clearly leaders. They, they're really important. So I'm really not that important. In fact, I'm not necessary because my function isn't particularly meaningful. So I don't need to connect. I don't need to participate because I'm extra. I'm unnecessary. That was one side. There was another group of people who thought that they alone were important. There were some who perceived that they were so competent and so talented and so gifted, they could do everything that only they were important and they didn't need anybody else. Now, I know no one would ever say such a thing out loud, especially in proper company in Memphis. But there are some people who think that way. Now, some of this is tied to the American spirit. I can do it myself. I can do things independently. I don't need to depend on other people. Now, if you're a homesteader and your nearest neighbor is 20 miles away and you got to walk and you're trying to create and cultivate a new farm, and that's very important. You need to be independent and fully self-reliant. If you're an entrepreneur and you're going to start a new business and you're the only employee and it all depends on you, that's a great essential quality. The quality itself isn't bad. But in the Christian faith, in the church, Paul teaches us that we function as a body. We need other kinds of people. We need other gifts to function in a healthy way. We cannot function in a healthy manner alone. Just consider what a healthy body looks like at a church like Second Presbyterian. Consider the full array, and I can only touch the surface, but the full array of gifts that are and can be displayed. There's gifts of teaching and instruction and exhortation. But at the same time, there are gifts of listening and encouraging and expressing sympathy. And if you have as many people gathered together as we do, we need people who can organize, who can administer. We need gifts of musical leadership, both in those who are talented to sing and to play instruments, and those who are going to teach and guide and compose as others are involved in that process. There are gifts of hospitality. How do we make people feel welcome? How do we get to know people and welcome them in and guide them to understand who we are and what we're about? How do we care for people who may be coming from uh, difficult or complicated circumstances? We need people gifted in evangelism who will go out into our community and meet new people and welcome them into our fellowship and begin to introduce them to the body of Christ and even to Jesus himself. There are people with gifts of mercy and compassion who immediately upon seeing a need or a hurt or a pain or a stress in someone else's life, feel with them and assure the other person that they're not alone, that somebody's walking with them through that. Did you know that simply to 
have a typical Sunday at second? There are 100 or 200 volunteers because of all those different functions. And we don't recruit volunteers to fill our organization. We function as a body with everybody using their different gifts to teach, to sing, to encourage, to sympathize, to instruct children, to teach Sunday school, to talk, and all the different things, to record videos, to live stream. All the different parts function together as we function as a body. Maybe consider what happens when one of the parts of the body doesn't function. Even when we hear the most insightful, compelling, and convicting sermon, we need somebody to process that information with. We need to tell somebody what we learned so it solidifies in our mind. And in that discussion, we process what God has been teaching us. What if that person isn't there? Sometimes we need to tell somebody just for the sake of accountability. I've developed this habit, perhaps having to do with how many birthdays I've had, of telling my wife, I'm just saying this out loud so I'll remember. (laughs) Not actually telling her new information, but by saying it out loud and when she hears it, maybe I'll remember where I put my keys or whatever it is I'm thinking about. Sometimes the telling is just for the accountability. I've learned something. I want God to change me, and I want you to know that I think that's what God is changing. You might even say, next week, ask me how it's going. See, we need other people, even simply with the sermon part. But there are so many things that happen around the worship service. So many informal things that happen around the formal ministry structures that we have in place. Now, you know I'm a preacher. And so I think about church as far as what happens inside these walls. But years ago, I was amazed to discover what happens outside the walls. Now, I'm talking about during the worship service. I'm not talking about during the week when we all function outside the walls, right? Just think about the young mom who needs to care for her young child, okay? She's got to step outside the worship service. Think about the conversation that happens there. It may be deep and meaningful. It may just be superficial, but she knows she's not alone. And in some of those conversations, very significant things happen on the spiritual level. The actual life issues and a one-on-one happen or discussed differently. So there's all kinds of ministry that happens around our formal structures that is vital to the functioning of the body. And when one of those people, when that function is absent, we all notice. So will we admit that we need each other? You've been soldiering on for 14 months. Good job. Good on you. You've done really well. But now we need to reconnect. We need to restore our corporate body health because we need it for our very survival. I mean, the survival is the body of Christ. We need to help each other reconnect. Some of the ways that we got disconnected are obvious, but some are not. And if you feel fully connected, and if you feel like you've been fully restored, that's great. Amen. But there's people around us who may not feel that same sense of connection. And it's still possible that we haven't recognized all the effects of being out in space for 14 months. 
That's because many of us, fundamentally all of us, have experienced a level of trauma. And I want to look at that as we conclude. The very last verse. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Usually in a group of this size, a few people suffer at a time. And the rest of us gather around and walk with them through their suffering and try to care and encourage and support them as they go through their difficulties. The complexity is that our entire body suffered the exact same trauma at the exact same time. We've all been affected in one way or another by what has occurred in the last 14 months. But God has brought us together as a collective whole to bring healing to the individual selves as we're part of one large body. You see, no healthy person is ever indifferent to the trauma of his or her own body. We all know this. We, we limp. No one taught us how to limp, right? You just limp because, you know, you, you can't put all the weight on that leg. We have protective mechanisms where we favor something or it's just instinctive. We protect the injury of our own body. You may choose to be a hero and suppress that instinct, but even that is an intentional choice. When Paul says, when one member suffers, we all suffer, there's an element of a double meaning in that. So first he's saying, as one body, if your neighbor suffers, you suffer too. And so we learn to care and can be concerned about the suffering of our neighbor. But I think Paul is also pointing that we need to be aware that when we cause pain, intentionally or unintentionally, to other parts of the body, we're actually hurting ourselves. So when our insensitivity or directness or rigidity causes other members of the body to suffer, it's causing damage to my own body, to our own body. Because we're not independent of each other. We're interdependent. We're mutually dependent. So if we speak the truth, but do so without an authentic expression of love, we wound ourselves. And when we're indifferent to that, we demonstrate that we don't really believe that we're part of a body. So if we suffer together, how can we recover together? Like a good cell, let the healing work of the Holy Spirit flow through you to those around you in close contact with you to bring healing and strength to the surrounding parts of the body. Likewise, share your junk with each other. We're all sinners. We all fail. We all have things we don't like to talk about in public. Of course. But the surrounding cells, share your junk with each other so the Spirit can, through sin, confession, repentance, transformation, can take that away through the care of the cells around you and expel it from the body. It is the Spirit who works in our body to build, to restore, to heal, to reconnect. We can participate this, in this with openness and humility. It's possible, when you think about your neighbor, you don't like your neighbor's junk. Do you like your junk? If you like your junk, you don't know what your junk is. Right? So we participate in this cleansing process as well as the healing and, and building process as one body empowered by the Holy Spirit.
about two years ago, my wife suffered a fracture of her heel bone. It is possible that that was complicated by the ineptitude of her belay partner when she was on the climbing wall, but she'll never tell you who that belay partner was and never blame that person for her injury. I'm thinking, yeah, three to six weeks in a cast, and then we'll be good to go. I had big plans for climbing. But the doctor said, no, she'll be three months in a cast, another month in a boot, six to nine months of rehab. I said, um, really? <laughs> he said, yes, because the heel is going to bear all the weight of your body, and you're going to use your heel on every step you take. <laughs> so you want to be sure it is healed properly and healed thoroughly. So we said, well, when will we know it's better? I mean, because after we got the cast in the boot, but then there was all this physical therapy, lots of intense exercises forever. So well, what'll happen is sometime, about a year from now, you'll be walking and you realize, wait a minute, <laughs> my ankle doesn't hurt. And when I kind of go left to right, move around all the, there's a lot of muscles in your ankle, okay? When you kind of move around, they won't hurt. And then you'll know that the healing process is for the most part, been completed. Brothers and sisters, we've experienced the trauma. But the good doctor's at work. He's created us to be a body, interdependent on one another. We need each other. We all need each other's gifts. I need you, you need me, we need each other. We're all part of one body. Look around a little bit. Not just in the greetings, but look around now. Look around as you walk through the church. That's who you need. I'm not talking about some other people, right? You need them. They need you. We need 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock needs you. We all need each other. These are the people that God has formed together to be one body. But the Spirit is at work bringing healing and restoration. And at some point down the road, we're going to look around and say, hey, we're better. The Lord has brought healing. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, let us be about the work of reconnecting the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we together acknowledge that we are one body. As independent thinking Americans, we tend to be individualistic, but you have made us to be one. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each one of us, showing us our gifts, our talents, our contribution showing us how we can reconnect and serve and walk with those around us and restoring the healthy functioning of this portion of your body that you call Second Presbyterian Church. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.